I needed to not skate by for once in my life, and they didn't let me. At the end of the day, if you know that you don't feel good about the job, you got to be able to leave that behind. They just kept asking me to come back, and I truly love Milwaukee and Southeast Wisconsin. It's always great to be at WTMJ. This is WTMJ Conversations. Welcome to WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. It was a beautiful May afternoon in 2022 when 18-year-old pilot Daniel Perelman made a distress call to air traffic control at Timmerman Airport on Milwaukee's north side. Sadly, that day ended in tragedy. However, Daniel's memory lives on through his family. Joining us is Daniel's father, Benny, his mother, Anna, and his sister, Lola. I want to talk about Daniel. And Anna, here you are with your two-and-a-half-month-old little Nate. What was it like when Daniel was born? Do you remember that day in particular? Yeah, of course I remember. It was a very exciting day. It didn't go as planned because I wanted to give a natural birth. Unfortunately, after many, many hours of me trying, it ended up in C-section, but he was just beautiful and um, very alert right from the beginning. And um, everything just went very smooth and well. We were happy family to welcome our first baby into the family in our new house in Brookfield, in our new country, United States. We are from Israel originally. We immigrated into United States in um, 2002, following Benny's relocation with his work in General Electric. Benny, he was your firstborn son, and how exciting that had to be for you. It's very difficult to describe in words, but very exciting. Was there something special about Daniel, even when he was a baby, when he was a little guy? Was there anything that you picked up and said, this kid has so much potential? For every parent, I think their kid is, is you know, the whole world and something, something special. We can only speak from our own experience, of course. He was very bright. He was very bright from the very beginning. And later on, you know, when we started outside of the infancy years, right, talking and walking and doing things. I kept saying to my friends, he was always keeping us on our toes, always challenging us, always trying new things, always exploring. And then as he grew up and in elementary school, for example, he he skipped a grade. He skipped third grade. Uh, sorry, fourth grade. He skipped from third to fifth because we didn't even, we thought maybe he should, but the school approached us and said, you know, we think maybe... He's bored. He had some mild behavior, something very classic, right? He was bored. He was disruptive. And this skipping grade worked great for him, right? It matched his development better, hanging with kids who were a year older. Um, At that age specifically, he was tiny. He was always the smallest. Really? Because in this age, one year difference, it shows. But everything builds your character. I think it made him... (laughs) He wouldn't let people take advantage of this. Lola, you were born a couple of years after Daniel. What was he like as a big brother? Like the normal, I guess, annoying. (laughs) I don't know. Like a normal big brother. Did you think, though, at the time, and I know it's always hard when you're a couple years younger, did you think there was anything special about Daniel? Well, obviously, he was, like, super smart. He was giving her lots of our time. (laughs) 
he was, <laughs> he was finding new ways to trick her and tease her. Probably challenge her, yeah. I bet. Yeah. 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 Well, I know you're now at Brookfield East, but Daniel was at Brookfield Academy? Yeah, yeah. Daniel was in Brookfield Academy through graduation. Yes. And, you know, as you said, he was exceptionally bright to the point where he actually skipped a class. He was also very involved in a lot of extracurricular activities, too. Yeah. In the earlier years, you know, elementary school and maybe through the beginning of middle school, like everybody else, we tried different sports, team sports. He tried football, he tried soccer, baseball, but nothing really stuck. This athletic part wasn't really his thing. But he joined the football team in Brookfield Academy when he was in fifth grade. And he was a year younger. And typically the football teams draw in bigger and more stronger athletic kids. So one of his best friends from school later on when they came visiting us after the accident and we were just sitting one night and people bringing up memories. So Ali said, first time I saw him, he said, I walk by the football field and I see a bunch of fifth graders practicing. And then there is like one little guy <laughs> running there and, and trying to catch them. <laughs> and the same guy also told the story when Daniel skipped a grade and he joined the fifth grade. This friend of him said, who's this little guy? Because he was first in class always. He ended up being valedictorian. But Daniel always challenged him in math. So he said, uh-oh. This little guy is going to take my <laughs> math leadership away. And later, as he got into high school and more clubs, yes, so he was a great chess player. So he was leading the chess club. He was in mock trial. He was in the Latin club, which, again, competed nationally. So intellectually, he yeah. was, yes. I, yes. I would he say was he was quite admirable. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And he was also a student council leader, too. Yes. And, you know, it's, the list is long. <laughs> of things he got involved in. And uh, we talked about his athletism or lack of it. But I think around maybe his junior year, he started getting serious about fitness. So he really transformed himself. He started going to the gym. He started rock climbing, a little bit running, not too much. But this really, the fitness became also part of his routine. Well, about that time, he also became interested in aviation. Yes. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. Anything that was most challenging, that's what attracted him. Daniel Perelman's family talks about his love of challenges, his academic success, and his love for aviation. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back. I'm Libby Collins. We're talking with the family of Daniel Perelman, Benny, Anna, and Lola. What was it about airplanes and flying that really caught his attention? I don't know. It surprised us a little bit. I think he loved the physics and mechanics of it. Because even before you get on your first flight, well, of course, there's like the, the demo flight. But you have to learn lots of theory, how things work, why does this thing even go up, right? And how you do things. So materials, all the various forces that are involved in this. So he was... He really liked the process, but somehow it caught him, you know, and I have a few friends or colleagues from work who are also, of course, much more experienced pilots. Some of them are instructors, right? It gives you this freedom, right? You're floating out there. You see everything around. So I think that would drew his interest. He always liked the challenge. 
In anything that was most challenging, that's what attracted him. Academically and in the flying as well, that was very challenging. How many people do we know that have a pilot license? How many people do we know that can fly the plane? That's especially at a young age. Especially at the young age, nobody. So that, that was a challenge for him. That's why it was drawing him. It was, you know, definitely attractive to him. He chose Northwestern. From his background, it appears he could have gone any place to college. Why Northwestern? He wanted to be close to home. So, you know, we were telling those stories as when they were kids, he was teasing Lola, but they grew like very close to each other, like, like twins. They were very attached to each other. And, you know, going through teenage years and those difficult times, we didn't really have too many crises or issues as kids who go through teenage years. And he said he wants to be close to home. And he wanted to aim as high as possible in the area. We visited Northwestern. We managed to squeeze a visit just before COVID. On the way back, he said, that's it. Because on those visits, they show you the actual labs. You talk with students. You walk the campus. He said, that's where I want to go. What did he aspire to? Had he talked about career? He was a science guy in general, even though he, Latin and languages came easy to him, but he was essentially a science guy. He loved physics in Northwestern. He also got accepted to this a little bit more selective program, ISP, Integrated Science Program, that you get courses a little bit more advanced, you get access to research facilities earlier, you get more one-on-one advisor time. So he was thinking physics. Then, very quickly after he started, he set his mind more towards medicine. So he was hoping to get, there is a program in Northwestern after second year to get accepted to med school. You still have to finish the four years, but basically this was his final plan. I think all these years of living in the house with a physician, I'm I'm, I'm a medical doctor. I was yeah. going to say you're an internist, are you? Yes. Yeah. yeah, more like in geriatrics right now. But yes, all these years, I think probably something was dripping over, you know, inside his brain. And he saw me being, you know, overall satisfied with my job. He saw good balance with the feeling fulfilled and, um, you know, obviously compensation wise and uh, free time wise, all of that. And again, that's another challenge. Harder is better. Right. That was always something in his mind, you know, he wanted to have this challenge. I'm going to challenge myself to do well and get accepted into this very selective program. Lola, how did you react to the fact that your brother wanted to stay close and a lot had to do with you? Um, I think it mainly actually had to do with our dog. <laughs> well, no, like, I'm not kidding. Um, yeah, we have we had a French bulldog, Cece, that was his birthday present for his 15th birthday. For his 15th birthday. So it was, like, mainly his dog, and he just grew very attached. He said he wanted, like, a French bulldog farm when he was older. So I think he mainly stayed close to home for her. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. We deep inside, I think, knew that nobody survived this. Anna and Benny Perelman talk about the day their son Daniel's plane crashed. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Let's return to our conversation with Benny, Anna, and Lola Perelman. That's going to bring us to, I know, a day that's 
really difficult. We used to love Thursdays so much Why during Thursdays? these years. Yes, yeah. because this is the day that he was always coming. He didn't have courses on that day or some minimal type of load. So that was the always the day that he was coming and he was taking the flight lessons. That was the day. So he most of the time he was taking the train, sometimes he had his car there and so he was driving like that day so now we don't like thursdays anymore that's not the day of the week that we've been looking for that was this thursday on may 26. benny i know it's hard but can you tell us what that day was like weather-wise it was a beautiful day yeah yeah i was at work so again this day i don't remember if he drove he drove this he day drove. he drove from university i had couple of meetings in the morning at work. He never knew if he's coming because he didn't know if how's the weather, if there is a plane available. And then he said, hey, my plane is available for solo, so I'm going to drive over. So I met him at home around noon, I think. We had lunch together. And then he was planning just to take the car and drive. And I said, you know what? I have nothing until the end of the day. Let me take you. So I took him to the airport. And on the way, we call Anna. And she said, hey, I'm done with clinic early. I can meet you there. So we've never went with him, like never, ever. The only time we went with him to the airport was in the very first introduction flight when we spoke to the instructors and tried to understand the process and everything. Over those year and a half, we never, ever went with him to the airport. But then we went there and then we kissed him. He went to the plane, he walks to the plane, he does the check, start, turn off, start again, whatever they need to do. I don't know much about it taxied and we were just standing behind the fence and gives us a thumbs up we have it all in photos and then he took off so the plan for him was to do three rounds one round land take off another touch and go it's called we're not going to get into this but it's a bit of a controversial practice among flight instructors again i don't know much about it but the fact is he took off he did one loop around the airport quite a big but you know it was a clear day so we could see it all and Anna was filming it all on the phone then he landed and took off again and as he was taking off again I think Anna got distracted and she looked at the phone just to check the videos and I had he installed some flight tracker application on my phone so I'm like looking at the plane looking at the tracker and I see the first thing I notice on the tracker application that the marker of, of his plane doesn't progress at the same rate as it was. So then I looked up and the plane goes down. So I don't know exactly what happened in the following few minutes, but we had our both cars there, right? Because we came from work. So Anna figured out just jump in the car, drove around, because it was in the neighborhood just outside of the airport on the other side. So she arrived there, I think, before maybe some fire truck was there. But, the but basically, we saw him in the wreckage. I mean, the first thoughts is you're scared. You don't know what you're going to see. But he was in one. I couldn't believe it because when I saw this going down, I said, OK, there's nothing. Right. And then he was actually there in one piece. They took him out. We chased the ambulance like crazy. It was a busy time. It was just after 3 p.m. to Frederick. And then was the nightmare of the next day and a half where 
We deep inside, I think, knew that nobody survives this, but they kept fighting. Still ahead on WTMJ Conversations. We learned so many things that we were not aware. In our tragedy and tears, these were like little bright spots out there. It was helpful to go through this horrible time. The Perelman family talks about the impact Daniel had on those around him. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. And I'm Libby Collins. Our guests today are the family of Daniel Perelman, his dad, Benny, his mother, Anna, and his sister, Lola. You're such a close family. And I can't even begin to imagine how devastated you were. Like you said, Benny, you had a good idea what the outcome was going to be, and I'm sure Anna is a physician. Unfortunately. She had an even better idea. I unfortunately, a really was, good uh, idea. From the first moment, when the first paramedic assessed him, I kind of knew that, unfortunately, it's not going to end well, even with all the efforts that they were putting. In Israel, I um, did several years of general surgery residency, and I actually worked in emergency room as a surgeon and they saw a lot of trauma including the bombings and saved a lot of patients lives back then when I was in my 20s so I knew how trauma looks I knew what the trauma outcomes are unfortunately I imagine as you went through this you were looking for comfort for answers and religion affected you it's a very interesting because it is very typical for people in Israel right we're Jewish we're not ashamed of it we're proud of it it's more of a on the level of tradition the question of belief and faith is a little bit different so when something like this happens everybody rallied around us the main entrance to the hospital there are probably 70 people there all night. And we're friends and members in Chabad of Brookfield. Rabbi Brook, who was very helpful. And, and his wife too, Freddy. And his wife, Freddy. Yes. It's hard to say. I respect him and he respects me. But I think we both understand that we, on this level, we're different. I see him as a friend, and he really helped a lot. And it's never a clear cut in those things, because, for example, organ donation. Daniel, by the way, insisted to become an organ donor since his first permit. In our mind, we're like science people, right, and medical field. No question, that's what he wanted. We want his organs to be donated. But on some unexplained level, we spoke to the rabbi, and we sort of like not really asked his permission, but said, by the way, so what would you or people who are, you know, say about this? He actually got on a conference with some other rabbi from Australia, Australia I think. Or New Zealand. One because there is the written word and then there's lots of interpretation. And this guy came back and he gave us the message, you know, if those are saving lives organs, Daniel's organs, heart, liver and two kidneys saved for people, for real people. If this is for the purpose of saving another person's life, absolutely. Even if you were the most orthodox religious person, 
I will tell you you can do it. So Rabbi Brooke, though, he's the one who came up with the original idea of Deeds for Daniel. Yes. He's the one who came with the idea of Deeds for Daniel, and he's the one who gave the idea of the blood drives. And you have to understand, I mean, I think Anna probably doesn't remember anything from the first month. I can't even try to imagine what state we were, so clearing, thinking clearly was not the thing. But yes, the Deeds for Daniel was an amazing thing. The main thing about it was we're not asking for donations, not asking, just do a good thing, tell us a few good words, and document it. And there were more than 2,000 comments submitted over the following many months. A lot of people that submitted this for Daniel also submitted their memories of Daniel, and that was completely invaluable for us, because there were a lot of students from Northwestern, students from Brookfield Academy, that basically wrote, oh yeah, Daniel did this for me, Daniel helped me here. And then one of the moms from Northwestern, oh, my son was allergic to peanuts, and Daniel was also allergic to peanuts. On the first cookout or something like that, potluck, potluck, potluck or something, my son was so nervous, you know, he didn't know which foods he can eat, which not. And Daniel basically walked him through without knowing him at all. There were a girl from Brookfield Academy saying, you know, that Daniel showed a lot of compassion to her when she was not socially accepted or he basically was very compassionate and checking on her daily i mean we learned so many things that we were not aware so in our tragedy and tears these were like some bright little bright spots out there that every time i was hearing that it was just helpful to go through this horrible time and there were thousands of those deeds for daniel and i think hundreds of new things that we learned including the pictures we were able to collect so many pictures of him from college from his friends that's amazing we actually pulled a huge collage of that that we were bringing to our blood drives including you know many collages of the family pictures but also the whole big stand collage of the pictures from his college friends. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. They roughly translated 1,200 patient lives impacted. Daniel Perelman's family talks about how his memory stays alive through blood drives and organ donations. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back to our conversation with Benny, Anna, and Lola Perelman and their hopes for the future with Daniel Gives Back. Those blood drives really helped a lot of people. They were extremely successful. Yes. That was another challenge then that you looked at and you said, we're going to do more. And what happened next, Benny? So the first blood drive was very successful. And again, this is we're uh, uh, working very closely with Versity Organization. And they said number of people registered, it's pretty record-breaking. In the end, less because some get rejected. But then we got into a rhythm, so we've held six so far. A total of close to 400 pints or blood products were collected, and they roughly translated one to three, so roughly 1,200 patient lives impacted. Which is incredible that you've been able to do that in such a short time. Yes, and we started this organization, this nonprofit, Daniel Gives Back. By the way, the name Daniel Gives Back, the credit goes to the Brooks, to Rabbi Brook and his wife, Freddie, because this is what they came up with. And at some point I told him, 
can we use it? Copyright? I said, go for it. It's yours. So we have the blood drives, which is purely, it's a win-win. Nobody's losing there. Lots of people came to us afterwards, lots of people, and said, thank you. We were afraid of donating blood for our entire lives. We just wanted to do it for this good cause, and now they became regular donors. So probably lots of Brookfield East students also who came to donate were Well, did you have a lot of uh, people who were first-time donors, right? Yeah, almost everybody at the school blood drives are first-time donors because it's, like, targeted towards my high school community. And how old do you have to be to donate blood? Sixteen. So you were limited. It wasn't like no, everybody in the school could do it. It was the majority of people in the school because you turned 16 your sophomore year. Uh-huh. So it was, like, probably half the sophomores and then all juniors and seniors, plus a lot of teachers and, like, faculty. When you have something like that and you see a community come out and support it. It gives you a wonderful feeling, but also you know that it's being done in memory of Daniel. And that's not all that you're doing through the foundation. I know you personally are a marathon runner, are you not, Benny? Yes. And you've run in his memory. Yeah, I've already since the accident. I ran three already. I was one in uh, Twin Cities, Green Bay, and Berlin. If we talk about the mission, Right, it's promote academic excellence, social responsibility, but also fitness. So this is where this one falls. We've made a couple good partnerships with other organizations. We've partnered with an organization called SODA, Student Organ Donation Advocates, SODA National. SODA is the Student Organ Donation Advocates, and it's mainly targeted towards obviously like the younger generation of potential organ donors. And the founder was Sarah Miller, who her sister was an organ donor. The point is kind of just to spread the influence about it and, like, register more people. They found us through the website. So this is a Milwaukee family. Again, they went through tragedy 12 years ago. Different circumstances, but she was an organ donor. They saved a life. Lola, when you're talking with other high school students about organ donation, what's the reaction? It's pretty half and half. Half of them are like, what? Like, you want to take my organs and are pretty dismissive of it and will just, like, walk away. But then, like, the other half are, like, pretty understanding. And there's, like, some people who are, like, already organ donors because, like, they have something close to them. Like, there's a reason that they are. So I would say it's pretty split because I started a chapter of soda this year with two of my classmates. And when we had our club day... That's like when I found out those split reactions. So we actually had about 84 people sign up for the club. These people know that it's kind of for like a good purpose. Have you been able to change minds when you explain yeah, how important it definitely. is? Yeah, definitely. Especially people who like don't want to donate blood either because it all like relates back. If you just like explain everything that happens and how one pint of blood is up to three patient lives affected. So people like hearing that they're going to be helping other people by doing something that doesn't even require much effort. So it does change minds actually like pretty good amount. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. This is going to bring all these memories, how it was with Daniel, but there is a lot of happy in that. The Perelmans talk about a new member of their family. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm Libby Collins. Today's conversation is with Benny, Anna, and Lola Perelman. We're talking about keeping the memory of their son and brother alive through Daniel Gives Back. In the background, I have to bring this up. We've got little Nate. He's two and a half months old. And basically, he's just adorable. As you hold a new baby 
It must bring back a lot of memories. It does. And I think that was our fear initially when we realized, you know, that's what's happening. Both Benny and I were like, how are we going to go through that? You know, it's, it is going to bring all these memories, how it was with Daniel, how it was with Lola, how are we going to go? But there is a lot of happy in that. You know, there are days that we feel really down and there are a lot of days like that. But then we have little Nate. Who is a demanding. really good baby, by the he way. Is, he is. He is an amazing baby, you know, who is sleeping nine hours at night. He's quite demanding. He needs a lot of attention. He needs a lot of care. And it's distracting us. And he smiles at us. And it makes us smile back at him. So, you know, we smile back at him through the tears. And the tears drying up. And we just keep going on because we know that we need to keep going on for Lola, for Nate, for Daniel's memory. We have to keep going on. And Daniel's memory, I think, is what really drives so much of this with Daniel Gives Back. What else do you want to do with the foundation? Because you're just beginning, Benny. We're just beginning the blood drive thing. It's a lot of work. We know much better how to do this, but it's it's still a lot of work to rally the people. And, you know, the first year, of course, there was much more response. Now we need to work harder a little bit. But the other thing on the academic excellence, right? So we've managed to raise a reasonable amount of funds. I don't know what's reasonable, right? We're not putting too much effort into this, but we've, we've funded uh, two high school scholarships so far. One was presented in a very nice ceremony working with the Elmbrook Education Foundation for a student in uh, Brookfield East, a senior in Brookfield East. We also funded, but this is more of our own, the Perelman family, a similar scholarship in Brookfield Academy. We have ideas. We were hoping to organize a race, maybe a 5K or a 3K. Next summer, hopefully. Next summer. This requires even more logistics, but I mentioned our partnerships. In the meantime, we partnered with another interesting organization, which is the Cream City 510K, which was founded by a guy named Jesse Pagels. He He's on the other side. He's a recipient. He was a dual lung transplant recipient. He used to be a marathon runner. He was pretty good. And then after he went through this, he's running an annual event. Last April, we registered. So we had 70 people registering as part of Team Daniel Gives Back. So we were the largest or the, the second, second largest, largest, the second largest group there. Mm-hmm. Pouring grain, 95% of people who registered showed up. Again, you can see on the website the photos, people with green ponchos and... Daniel gives back black t-shirts underneath it. This was a huge event just to keep the memory. It sounds like in hearing about Daniel and the kind of young man that he was and and his caring, these stories that you shared, you didn't even know about some of the things that he did for people. This is such a great way to keep his memory alive. Is there a way that anybody who's listening can get involved in some of the things you're doing with Daniel Gives Back? Uh, yes. So we have our website, danielgivesback.org, that just yesterday I updated it. It includes, as far as we know, everything that was published about him, everything that we've done, all the past and future events, 
all the stats of organ donations and blood donation. The chess tournament, right? Yes, we didn't talk about the chess tournament. So, As you said, he was an avid chess player. He was an avid chess player. Earlier in his early teens, when he was 10 years old or 11, he won the under-11 U.S. chess open tournament. That's pretty impressive. Other, yes, <laughs> but one of his good friends from, they started playing since they were seven or eight. He's two years younger, but he's running another nonprofit organization, Power of Pawns. So he organized the first... Chris Sharma, that's his name. We have to mention it because yes. he's, he's a remarkable young man. He organized the first memorial event in Daniel's memory last fall, second one coming up this December. The interesting thing that happened there, mainly kids registered there, and the kids who registered were elementary, maybe beginning of middle school, lots of parents. And we had our corner, our memorial corner, and lots of people just came there and says, what happened? Who is it? What? Right? So our circle of friends and family in school, we all know. But this was a way to tell more people in different intersecting circles the story and how good he was and everything he did and what we're doing. So the ways to get involved are would be basically, you know, registering for the blood drive. And we will have details on our website as well. And I'm sure there's going to be many more blood drives. And also registering to just be an organ donor in general on your driver's license. Here we are. Anna, Penny, Lola, and little Nate. And as I look at Nate, and those beautiful eyes, by the way, <laughs> he's never going to get to know his big brother. What is it you'd like him to know about Daniel? Well, obviously, that's interesting because this is ex like similar to something that I have to write about. But what we are hoping that he will eventually like hear stories from family and friends obviously and help us in the future with like keeping on his legacy with future generations because obviously like he's perfect for that just to make sure that like throughout the years he'll let other people know he'll definitely one day completely probably take over Daniel gives back organization and just like know Daniel's influence on the world I would just add try to live by the same values and the same, you know, <laughs> I want to say with the same intensity. Benny, Anna, Lola, Nate, thank you for sharing your memories of Daniel and what an amazing young man he was. Thank you. Thanks thank you. We've been talking today with the family of Daniel Perelman who tragically lost his life in a plane accident in May of 2022. Benny, Anna, and Lola talked about keeping Daniel's memory alive through Daniel Gives Back and some of the blood drives and other fundraising activities they are using to keep Daniel's memory alive. Now, if you joined us late and you want to hear our entire conversation with the Perelmans, go to WTMJ.com and please... Share today's show with your friends and family. You'll also find a partial transcript courtesy of eCourt Reporters. For WTMJ Conversations, I'm Libby Collins.